for answered prayers, God. Thank you for clean tests. Thank you, God, for what you're doing with the life of Keith. I know he'd be glad to get home and get back with all those children, God, and his wife, and, and be back in his house. But, Lord, he's still going to need some healing, some strength, some touch. And, God, with Michelle Pickles, God, it has been literally months now in the hospital. God, infection after infection and amputation of parts. And, God, just... Lord, she is dealing with such an extreme situation because of the antibiotics. You know the story that there's kidney failure now, the dialysis and all that's there, God. You know the story, but we know our God. Father, we know that the problems seem great to us, but we know that it's just a thought from heaven. You could make it all go away, Father. I pray you continue to touch John. I pray that your grace would be upon him, Father. I pray you'd hold him up. But God, we pray if it be your will, would you touch her with your healing hand, God. Give him some guidance, direction. Take the infection out. God, I pray you'd be here in the midst of us tonight, Father. I pray you'd help us as we look at this, Father. I pray you'd teach us something from your word, God. Such a great story, God. What a great glimpse of the power of our own personal testimony in this story that you gave us, Father. I pray you'd teach each one of us something tonight, God. Forgive us where we failed you. And cleanse us of anything that would hinder your Holy Spirit from filling us and moving among us, God. And, and being here with us, Father, that we might hear clearly from your word. You, we love you, God. Lord, you've been so good to us, Father. All we can do is thank you and praise you for your goodness. I ask you now, Father, to help us to be pleasing to you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you guys want to turn there in Acts chapter 16, we will continue in our study there. We, um, you know, we started last week in this particular section that we talked about. There are three conversions, three salvations, and there are three very different people. And I told you last week, if nothing else, it lets us see the power of God and that there are no exclusions. That whosoever literally means whosoever. We saw Lydia, Thyatira, a woman of the cell of the color purple. We talked about how we know she would have been relatively wealthy by that statement alone. We know that she had a reasonable sized house. We know that she had servants. The reason we know her house is pretty big because she's got servants. And she invited Paul and his whole company to live with them. So she got a pretty good sized place that she stays in. And, and so we see that, that God will reach in and save the wealthy, the, the industrial prosperous, the one that, that works and, and puts out um, things to make money. But then the other one that we met was a young girl who, who was demon possessed. And she had nothing. She was a slave, but Jesus loves her just the same. It didn't matter that she didn't have money. It didn't matter that she wasn't mm, financially prosperous. All that mattered was she was a whosoever, and the power of God was enough. But then, if you remember, we saw the Apostle Paul, after so many days, he finally couldn't take it anymore, so he cast the demon out of this poor girl. But the masters, this girl's masters, are bent out of shape about it. Because that was how they made their money. They used her for fortune telling. And so now she's lost that ability. And so they're, they're ticked off. But because of that, that's how we meet the third person here of this, this third um, conversion in this part of the story. Because the masters of this girl, they're pretty ticked off about the situation. So they go get Paul and Silas and they bring them to the magistrates of the city, which would have been the judges. Should have been a fair trial, but we know that it wasn't. We see that the magistrates kind of got on side of these masters. And I, 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 honestly, the, the more I studied this, and especially this week studying it and today studying it, I, I found myself just, just kind of saying, Lord, can I put this off till Sunday? There, there's an incredible story in this. There's an incredible story if you open the Word of God. Somebody say amen, please. If you read any passage, there's an incredible story. And if God will just 
open it up and show you. But I was looking at this, and there's something that is so good for every Christian. It's so good, especially in today's casual Christianity world, in today's take-it-or-leave-it church society that we're in. There's something that, that is so important. I really want it. Like, God, it, it, you know, I mean, a rainy Sunday morning in a Baptist church is bad enough, right? But a rainy Wednesday night, I mean, come on, God, we, you know, we, we're going to have this. That you, you love for everybody here, but here's the truth. I know that God wants me to just stay the course, do what we're doing on Wednesday night. That means I, I believe he has something special here for each of us. It's not life-shattering, life-changing. It's just something to help us. But I wanted to move it to a Sunday morning. I even wanted to give it a, a, a title and call it The Importance of Our Testimony. And that's what I, I hope we can see here tonight as we look at this in chapter 16 is the importance of our testimony. Paul and Silas have been arrested. They've been severely beaten. At verse number 22, the multitude rose up against them. The magistrates ran off their clothes, commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So, that word used there in verse number 23 is used for safely, to keep them safely. Yeah, that doesn't mean like put your life on the line and make sure nobody harms them. That doesn't mean keep them safe, protect them, take good care of them. That means you better keep them secure. That means when the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you better have them in this prison. They, they better not get out of this place. See, it's a Roman rule for soldiers and jailers alike. If a prisoner escapes, that soldier or that jailer has to pay for that prisoner with his life. That, that's a given. I, any single prisoner gets out. The, the one that is responsible for the escape pays for it. So th this jailer is going to be our third conversion, but he's very different from the first two. You know, the first two we saw the women, a wealthy woman, a poor woman. But now we see a man of authority. We see a man, this is a Roman, we see a man with some power. We see a man who's probably battle-hardened by the fact that he has his position. He's probably been in some wars. He's been in some things there some time. But what we do know is, is that he's given a very specific instruction right here. And, and the truth is, it's the same for every prisoner. If a prisoner escapes, that, that jailer, whoever let him escape, has to pay for it with their life. But can I tell you, there's a big difference in maybe being beheaded or being tortured to death. You know what I mean? So he has a specific instruction that means you're going to pay dearly for this one if they get out. So not only do we have Paul and Silas here, they've been falsely accused. They've been beaten without a cause. They put stripes on their back. Now they're cast into this prison with specific instructions. So the jailer takes it to heart and he puts them in the inner cell, in the dungeon, in, in the most um, maximum security. And, and he chains them, which would have... Can I tell you when they chained him, it wasn't chained in a position where he could lay down and get comfortable. It wasn't chained in a position to help him step or to be comfortable. The chains were designed to, to cause pain, to cause suffering, to cause cramps, to cause agony, would cause a lot of situations. So on top of being beaten, now they've been chained up in this spot. Now, every prisoner in the jail heard them when they were brought in. Every prisoner in the jail would have heard them when, when, they, when they came in and they began dragging those chains and clamping them on the wrist and clamping them on the legs. They, they hear what's going on. Many of the prisoners there have probably experienced part of this before. Many of the prisoners that are in that jail that are hearing what's going on, they may have been beaten 
and or chained, one of the two before, they understand the situation. They understand the pain that Paul and Silas are in. They understand what the guards are doing to them over there. They remember how when they were brought in, they remember how they cursed the jailers. They remember how they fought with the ones that tried to chain them up. They remember how they cursed the Roman officials that beat them, the ones that put this in there. They remember how they tried to fight and all the things that was there and, and the ones that inflicted pain, the hatred that they had for them. Now, those that were in the prison, maybe they had... The ones that hadn't ever been beaten. And, and the ones that hadn't been put in the chains before, but they were in the prison. They could hear what was going on when others were brought in. They heard the ones that were brought in cursing and fighting and, and kicking. They heard the pain. They heard them laying in there all night, moaning in their pain, groaning in their torment, having been beaten and cramping. So, so they hear all of that. They've heard it all before. And they're going to hear something tonight, but tonight's going to be a very different night. They hear the prisoners brought in. They know they've been beaten. They know they're in pain. They know that they're in agony. They hear the chains so that they know that they've chained them up. I, I wouldn't doubt that when the jailers put the final chains on them, you know, they probably accidentally bumped them on the back with the chains. You know what I mean? Probably drug it across trying to inflict a little more unnecessary pain. They probably laughed and mocked them as they shut the doors and, and talked about some things. And everybody in the prison is listening. But what they're not hearing is cursing coming out of Paul and Silas. What they're not hearing is fighting. What they're not hearing is this arguing coming back. They're expecting the screaming. They're, they're expecting this, this cursing at the guards. But, but what they weren't expecting was prayer. At least not this kind of prayer. It says, verse 25, that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Can, can I just in, in, inject a little bit of my opinion in this, just, just to kind of help you understand what I think this is for them? I think they've heard men pray before, but not like this. I think they've heard them pray to the goddess Diana or cry out to Zeus or some false god or some trinket. I think they've heard them curse the guards and they've heard them because, you know, when men get desperate, men pray. I mean, any man that's been beaten and put in these chains, he's beaten to near death. He's chained up. He wants out. You know, think, storms just drive people to prayer whether they're a Christian or not. How many of you know somebody, you work with somebody, you got a neighbor, you got somebody around, and, and they don't go to church? There's nothing in their lifestyle that says they're a Christian. There ain't nothing about their fruit that says they're a Christian. Matter of fact, they would probably even tell you that they're not a Christian. They at least tell you they don't go to church. They have no interest in the things of God, and you know them. But you let one person in their family get sick, and they'll call you and ask you for prayer. Anybody know somebody like that? As soon as things start getting bad. Now, here's the reality for all of mankind. This isn't the world. This is the Christian sitting right here in Faith Baptist Church on Wednesday night. I'm not in this by myself. There's at least one more in here that what prayer should be is our first priority in every situation. But it's not. A lot of times, it's the last ditch effort. I've tried everything else. I've tried fixing it myself. I've talked to everybody. I know I've been to the bank. I've been to the doctor. I've been to everything. And it becomes the last ditch effort of prayer. Well, the world's no different. When all else has failed here, I'm sure they've heard some men pray before. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
I'm sure they've heard some crying out desperately to, to, some, to some false gods. But I'm also sure that they've never heard anybody cry out in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm quite positive. I have no proof. But I, I, if I was a betting man, I'd lay some pretty good wagers on it and get to heaven. God could settle it for us. I'm quite positive. They've never heard anybody beaten in chains, put in their breakout praising God. Pretty sure they've never heard anything like that. So I don't see prayer as being anything un unusual here. I, I don't see it as being anything different. It's the type of prayer that's different. It's the reason that they're praying. It's the attitude of the prayer. Paul and Silas are praising God. You say, how do you know that they're praising God in their prayer? It doesn't say that. You're absolutely right. It doesn't tell us what they prayed. It says that they prayed and that they sang praises at midnight. But here's what I know. The woe is me kind of prayer does not bring the power of God in your situation. Woe is me does not move heaven. Woe is me does not move God to come in and intervene. So the fact that they begin to rejoice tells me their prayer was rejoicing. I think they were thanking God that they were worthy to be beat by the name of Jesus Christ. I think they were thanking God that they were being, being counted worthy to be a missionary. To get to even go to Philippi. Tell somebody about Jesus. Being sent all the way to Europe to get to share the gospel. I think they were praising God that they that they been brought into a place as a prisoner had they not been brought there they're going to be able to tell people about Jesus Christ they would have probably otherwise never had an opportunity can I tell you sometimes your storm put you in a situation to meet somebody you would have otherwise never met I believe there's doctors and nurses saved all around this country that would have never got saved had a child of God not got sick and had to go in and they saw a miracle happen. And a Christian that was sick in a doctor's office had an opportunity because they, they faced the storm of their life. They had to go visit doctors. Every one of us, I believe, faced trials. I think these men are praising God because they're in a situation and they know that they're going to get the witness to some people. Now, the reason I believe that, there's a comma there between prayer and singing praises. There's a pause in the sentence. So, so here's what I see. By, by the comma, by putting there, they were, they were praying and they were singing praises. It tells me that their prayer did not immediately change their circumstance. What the prayer changed was their attitude about their circumstance. And when the prayer changed their attitude about their circumstance and they began singing praises, that changed. God stepped in and changed their entire situation. Anybody can pray during a storm. Somebody say amen. Anybody can pray when your world's upside down. Anybody can pray when, when there's trouble and, and things are going hard. The, the darker the night, the harder we pray. The stronger the storm, the more we pray. The closer hell seems to my front door, the harder I, I try to reach heaven. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The harder it gets, the closer we try to draw to God. It is the storm. It's either going to drive you toward God or away from God. And if we're going to try to get close to God, the harder the storm. So here you are in the middle of the night. So it's not just the prayer here. It is the attitude of the prayer. It is the content of the prayer. It's the heart of the prayer that, that matters. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And we call them the Beatitudes. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. 
persecute you. Say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's what Paul and Silas are facing exactly to a T. That is exactly what Jesus talked about. When you're in this situation, Paul, blessed are you. Men are reviling you. You've been persecuted. You've been beaten. People said all manner of against you falsely for my sake. Here's what Jesus said. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to rejoice. I've just been beaten. Jesus said rejoice. But listen, here's why. Great is your reward in heaven. He says, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Paul and Silas got a hold of that. They thought, great is your reward in heaven. They thought, in man's eyes, the worst thing that can happen to me tonight is I die. The worst thing that can happen to me in man's eyes is that they kill me tomorrow morning. The worst thing that can happen to me is that I check out of this in man's eyes, is that I check out of this body, and to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I close my eyes in here tonight, and I open them. I look at the face of Jesus Christ. I, I leave Timothy and Luke behind to preach the gospel. The gospel keeps going on. I cannot fear what man can do unto me. That they, they got a hold of that verse. Be exceeding glad. See, I, I believe it's the attitude of praise. I, I believe that, it, that it's the attitude of praise that they begin to take over. And so they begin to, to break out singing. And the prisoners heard it. The prisoners has heard a lot of stuff come from that inner cell before. Anybody still with me? Anybody's imagination let you go inside of a prison and understand what you might hear in there? I mean, this isn't God's greatest Christians in the prison, right? Outside of Paul and Silas. This isn't a town's finest civilians in the prison cells. Y'all's imagination, you working with me on, on what they're probably hearing? Are you imagine what they're used to hearing coming out of this inner prison cell? Of people that have been beaten and chained. So, so they're hearing something. Paul said in Romans 8.18. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul said that wasn't nothing. I, I, reckon, I reckon we ought not even worry about that. It can't even be compared with what God has waiting on the other side because of it. Paul and Silas. Timothy and Luke, Peter, James, all of them, they preach the gospel. All of them are preachers. They're all forerunners in the church. They're all the ones that God used to establish the church, preaching the gospel. But it is the way they lived. It is the way they lived on top of proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. You can't proclaim one thing and live something else and change anybody. You can't proclaim to be a Christian and act like a demon and expect people to be moved by, by what you have to say. So, so you have these men that, that preach the gospel. But the reason they make a, a difference in the lives of others is because people see something different in them. If we want to change the lives of people around us, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. I'm a Christian can flow out of anybody's mouth. If we want to change the lives of people around us, it takes more than I'm a Christian. It takes more than I go to church on Sundays or I go on Wednesday night. It takes living the life. It, it takes the example. It takes the, the testimony. See, these, these men are praising God during the storm. Can I tell you, those other prisoners didn't understand what was going on. 
They couldn't have. When you can praise God in your storm, there are Christians around you, Christians around you, that will be encouraged by you. When you can praise God in your storm, you don't just make a, a difference in the life of the lost. You make a difference in the life of everybody around you. When you praise God in the storm, you encourage me to, to see how God holds you up, to see how grace works. Because I know if grace can work for you like that, I can expect it to come from me. But, but when, we, when, when the world sees it, the world can't understand it. The world can't understand how you can walk through such dark trials and severe storms because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They don't have the understanding of God. Here's what they do know. Something's different about you. I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how they're handling that like that. I don't know how they hold their head up and keep going in the day. I don't know how they have a smile on their face. I don't know how they keep going to that church. I don't know how they keep living life the way that they do, going through what they've been through. They can't understand what it is, but they know one thing. There's something special. Paul and Silas are no different. They're just men. They, they didn't want to be arrested. Paul, Paul and Silas were there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't want to be beaten. They didn't want the, the hide beat off their back and battered and bruised. They, they, they didn't want to feel pain. Anybody here just hope tomorrow morning somebody beats you up and you get to feel some pain and suffering for the next few weeks? They're just men. They, they didn't want all the suffering. They didn't want to be chained up in stocks inside of a cold, damp prison with their backs bleeding and bruised and pain and suffering. But what they understood was this. If God brought me to here, God will bring me through here. Some of us need to get a hold on that. If you know you're living pleasing to God, <coughs> excuse me, and I promise you, because I, probably every one of us has been there. I know I have. It seems like things were upside down, and, and I really couldn't find. I, I've told you before, I even prayed one time, God, if you just show me what I did wrong, and let me get it under the blood, and let's get this right. I can't take this anymore. But the problem is God was doing something to me. The truth is I wasn't doing anything wrong. I've done plenty wrong, but I wasn't doing anything wrong there. It was just God was doing something, but I had to learn that if God brought me to somewhere, God had a purpose for getting me to there, and that was to get me through there to make something different. And that's what Paul and Silas has here. They know that if God brought them there, God's going to bring them through that, but, but God's going to bring them through the same way he's going to bring you and I through. He's going to bring them through in the way God sees best. The way that, that increases our faith or increases our testimony, but also in whatever brings glory to God. You remember what we saw back in Acts chapter 12 when Herod killed James and, and Herod saw that it pleased the people. So he had Peter arrested and the next morning he was going to kill Peter, right? Acts chapter 12, I know we've already studied that, but it said that when Herod, verse number 6, would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Peter's in the same boat. Peter's been arrested for nothing, for preaching the gospel, and here he is chained up between these soldiers. Tomorrow morning, you die, period. <coughs> Remember the church was praying for him, remember? We're not going to get back to Rhoda and all that about they didn't believe when he got to the door. But <coughs> it says that the angel of the Lord came, a light shined in the prison, smoked Peter, raised him up, arise quickly, his chains, his chains. See, see the connection in the story? His chains fell off. Here's the deal. When, when you can hold on to the things of God, when you can fully trust God, it doesn't matter what your situation is tonight or what you're facing tomorrow morning, you can sleep peacefully. Peter couldn't have hardly been facing a worse situation in the eyes of mankind, right? 
But yet it says that he's asleep. Now, now here, not the Holy Spirit doesn't give Paul and Silas the, the, the peace to sleep. He gives them the joy to sing. Now, so whichever you want, I'm good with either one. Get some sleep or get some singing done. It says that at midnight, anybody know midnight is considered the darkest time of the night, right? I mean, the text specifies right there. It's at midnight. There's a reason it says at midnight. It's to let you know, midnight, darkest time of the night. It's the eye of the storm. It's the middle of the point. And it says that they sing praises unto God. But it also specifies that the prisoners heard them. See, here's why this is important. Y'all ready? Anybody still with me? Had they cursed, the prisoners would have heard them. Had they complained, the prisoners would have heard them. Had they fought with the guards, murmured against God, the prisoners would have heard them. No matter how you handle your situation, everybody around you will hear you. No matter how you handle the, the task at hand, whether we handle it with cursing or whether we handle it with praise, the people around us will hear it. And it is what we say during the midnight hour that they will never forget. It is at that moment when it is at the peak of your trial is when people will look at us the hardest. And it's what we say during the midnight hour that is either going to draw somebody towards our Lord or push somebody away from him. People are paying attention to what you say, whether you know it or not, as a Christian. But all they're looking for is one slip, one word, one discouragement, one thing. That's all they need. That's all they need to write you off. And when they write you off, they write off. I'm sorry to use the word religion because it's a terrible word. But they write off your so-called religion. They write off your God. They say it's not real to you. If it was real to you, then why would you act that way? These prisoners hear it because of, because of their rejoicing. But because of their praising, there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loose. Now, the earthquake itself is a miracle. Anybody ever turn on the news and you look and you see when an earthquake hits an area and you see the devastation? I mean, when earthquakes... Shake buildings, buildings fall, right? Things break, walls fall down. But the only thing that broke there was the locks that held the prison doors. None of the walls fell. The only thing that fell was the chains that was holding them to the wall. Because the, this, this is, this is a, a, an earthquake of the Holy Spirit. And he moves in and opens things up. In verse number 27, it says that the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword, would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Now, that's a, that's a pretty fair observation, right? I mean, you, you're the jailer. You get it up. There's been this whatever it is, and the prison doors are open. Wouldn't you imagine everybody ran? And, and now you got to explain where they all went. So it says that, that he's going to kill himself. He understands that the, oh, those prisoners getting out means certain death. Now, because he had specific orders, he un, you, we understand the Romans are the ones that, that accused Jesus, right? Right? Anybody awake? Wednesday night, raining outside. We understand that the Romans, these are Romans, right? We know that. This is Roman authority here at Philippi. We understand the Romans are the ones that crucified Jesus, right? I mean, we get the picture. They don't mind hurting some folks. 
They don't mind brutality. There there is no... I don't even know what you call it. There, there's, there's no charity. There's no heart. There's no compassion in them. This jailer knows that. He's been on their side. He knows what it's like. He knows what they've done to people. He knows what's in store. And, and here's what he knows. It's better for me to just cut my throat. It's better for me to run myself through right now and be dead than to suffer the shame, to suffer the humiliation, and most of all, to suffer the pain. The torment, the agony. You know, some people put on crosses hung there for days. And, and like with Christians, you know, they put them on crosses out over the Roman streets and they would light them on fire and burn them to light the streets at night, right? Well, they'd make the same example out of an unfaithful Roman soldier or a jailer. He understands what's in store. He said, I'd be better off dead. Here's the truth. This guy is seconds away from an eternity in hell seconds away. I told you we had three different people. One's a very prosperous woman, very well-to-do. One was a demon-possessed girl. Jesus loved them both the same. This one right here is a man who has made things hard on God's own children. He was one, some of the ones inflicting this stuff on Paul and Silas. He is seconds away from an eternity in hell. And God has his disciple, Paul, cry out with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm. For we are all here. There's a miracle in that. It says that he called for a light and he sprang in. He came trembling and he fell down before Paul and Silas. So he wicked up an oil lamp or he got a torch. Whatever the light was, he got the torch and he went in. And he saw that the men were all there. I mean, that is a miracle. Why didn't the other prisoners run? I mean, I'm a bad guy. I'm in there, and I'm going to take advantage of opportunity if I think like me, right? But the Holy Spirit took over that whole situation. He didn't just open Paul and Silas' door and drop their chains. He says he opened every door. He opened all the prison. He dropped everybody's chains around them. And it says that he brought them out. And look at the respect. He changed it. He says, sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, there's some miracles that's taking place right here. There's a lot of miracles. There's a lot of things going on. But there is no miracle greater than salvation of a soul. There is no miracle has ever happened or ever will happen that is greater than the miracle that's living in you and I. A sinner separated from God by our sin on our way to hell, washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, sanctified, justified as though our sins never happened, all of our sin erased, our name written in the Lamb's book of life to never be erased. And the Son of God himself is preparing a mansion for us and is going to come get us. And everybody's got to be sound asleep. I'm excited about it. That there is not a greater miracle that can be told than, than mine. I'm sure you feel the same way about yours. I, I know who I was. I know where I was. I know what I deserve. And it's only by grace that I won't get it. That, that, is, that is a miracle. So, so here's, here's why testimony is, is so important. Paul and Silas have preached in this city. Paul and Silas have been preaching the gospel. They were there for a little time. They went down to the river. They met the women that prayed. And, and then they led Lydia to the Lord. And then she's baptized. But remember it says that the demon-possessed girl followed them around for several days. You know what they're doing for those several days? 
they're going around Philippi preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and if there's somebody new in town, Philippi's a pretty small town. This, this ain't like some big industrial port city. This is a smaller town. And anybody know that, that gossip travels fast in small towns? Gossip travels fast, period. Gossip don't need an internet. I mean, it is like the world's fastest network. It's faster than the fastest Wi-Fi out there. You tell something you don't want to be told, get in your car and break every driving law there before you try to get home. When you get there, it's done beat you there. That's just gossip. And, and it spreads. So you got these two new men coming to town, and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're talking about all these new things. They've, they've cast out this demon. They've been arrested. You, you think this jailer hasn't heard the story? You, you think he don't know? About this Jesus, about the one that, that they've been preaching about. So here, here's what I'm saying. They've heard. They may not have heard it straight from Paul and Silas. But they've heard the gospel. They've heard about Jesus Christ. They've heard about the, the, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've heard about salvation. They've heard about what these men are preaching. And it changed nothing. Y'all with me? They've heard about how to be saved. He's heard about how to be saved. And he couldn't care less. But because of their testimony, not because of what he heard, but because of what he saw in their life, he said, I want to have what you have. I want what you've got. He says, sirs, how can I be saved? Now, now there's two things there. Paul in this story never mentioned being saved. You know what that tells me? That just confirms to me that he heard what Paul's been saying out there on the street. He knows about a need to be saved. Paul didn't tell him in this story. Paul didn't say anything about it, so how could he know? Because he's already heard what Paul's been saying. Another thing, Paul and Silas, they don't have to elaborate on who Jesus is. When they tell him to believe on Jesus Christ, he don't say, Jesus who? He, he understands. You know what that tells me? Confirmation. They've heard what Paul and Silas have been saying. They've heard what they've been preaching. They've heard what they've been teaching. He had heard it all and it had no effect. Listen, that's important, Christians. That's important. What they're saying about the gospel had no effect. It's what they saw in their life that mattered. It, it, is, it is their testimony that confirmed their words. It is their testimony that backed up what they believe. It is their testimony that, that put reality that people on the, this man understood. They believe it. It says that, that, that they told him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They, they didn't have to explain anything about who Jesus was. They've already done that in the city. They've already preached. And, and all he has to do now is he's heard it is now it's decision time. Here's what you got to do. Listen, this, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplest form. He said, what must I do? Can I tell you that's a fair question? It's a man that grew up under Roman rule, Roman authority. He grew up around all the Greek gods and the Roman gods. Every false religion of the world in that day is the same as it is today. Every false religion requires something of you. Every false religion, there's something you have to do to earn your way to get your wings. Whose commercial was that? Delta. You got to earn your wings if you want to fly. In every false religion in the world, there's something that has to be done to get it. This is a very fair question coming from this man. He said, what must I 
do. But in the case of Jesus Christ, he's already done everything. He's already paid the price. He's already conquered the grave. He's already established eternity. It's already done. Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what you've heard about Jesus Christ and, and the resurrection. You just believe it. Not, not with, not with a, a church letter. Not, not by joining the church and getting your name on the roll. Not, not with like, like a statement of faith. Not, not just in baptism. It's not just going through some water and, and that does it. It's not in good works. It's not in merit. He says, you just believe. It's not about law. It's not about legalism. It's not about tradition. It's not about, you got to dress this way, come this way, do this way, follow this way. He says, you just believe in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's more than just believing in God. A lot of people believe in God. They do it in Hollywood all the time. They win an award and say, oh, I just want to thank God. Well, which God are you thanking? Because if you look at the stuff they've been doing the last year, they don't know nothing about the God I know. But they want to throw it out. They think it's going to buy them some merit, some points or something. Somewhere. Oh, I just want to thank God. It's one thing to believe in God. A lot of people believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. It's one thing to believe in Jesus Christ. It's another thing to believe Jesus Christ. What, what Paul says is you got to believe in Jesus Christ. you got to believe in the Word of God. you you got to believe that, that he died and was buried, that, that he rose again. you you got to believe those things. See, James tells us in 2.19, he said the devils believe. The devils fear and tremble. It's not just believing in God. It, it's believing in, in the salvation. There's not going to be a demon in heaven. They're done, separated for all of eternity, the lake of fire is cast, or, or, or hell is cast into the lake of fire and separated from God forever. But th this man here, he doesn't surrender with his lips. He surrenders with his heart. He gives everything. There's too much lip salvation going on today. You can't make salvation any easier than it is. And you can't make it any more complicated than it is. But you can't say a little poem with your lips and keep living like the devil and expect yourself to be a child of God. Because the Holy Spirit moves in and begins to change some things. And I don't know how many times I've said it, but I'm going to add one more to it. If nothing changed on the outside, then I have no reason to believe anything changed on the inside. Because the Holy Spirit starts from the inside out and he starts changing some things. You know, this man right here, so he gets saved. What time is it? I got a little bit more. This man gets saved and... and Notice it in it says, thou shalt be saved. He says, and thy house. He says, oh my goodness. My family. I got to go tell my family. How many of them you got saved? You wanted to tell somebody. You, you wanted the people around you to change. You, you tried to tell your friend and what they do. You did what? You, you what? And then it didn't take long till, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones when I got saved. I don't even think we had caller ID. We, we were past the... We, had doo -doo -doo -doo, but we, we did have a handheld, but you still hooked to a wall, right? You didn't have caller ID, so they couldn't scan you, but they could tell you, hey, man, I'm busy. Can I call you back and hang up on you? You're right. Like, they're really going to call me back? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just wanted them to know because it was so overwhelming. It was so great. It was so awesome. It was so liberating. It was such joy. You just wanted them to have what you had. But the world didn't want it. Everybody, th th this man says, oh, oh, my, my, my family, 
my, my family, when they spake to him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Notice, he ain't worried about Roman authority anymore. He, he has a whole new confidence here. He, he's not worried about what's going to happen to him in, in the morning. He carries him to his house to preach to his family. See, that, that's another difference in the three conversions of this text. Lydia has a household that more than likely it consists of all servants. The demon-possessed girl had no household, no family that it tells us of. Matter of fact, the ones that owned her were irritated, mad about what happened. But this man, he has a family. He, he has a house. He, he's got, obviously, I assume that that's some children. He took them to his own house. But then here's what he did in front of his family. With his own hands, he washed their wounds. These are Jews brought into a Roman household. I wonder what that meant to his family. Listen, you think your family ain't seeing what you do at home? Nobody knows you better than your family. We can't come to church and pretend to be one thing and go home and our family not know what's a smoke screen. So we got to be real at home. I wonder what impact it had. Well, obviously, I can see what kind of impact it had, but because it goes on. It says that he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, was baptized, he and all his straightway. His whole family got saved that night. Man, that'd been a hallelujah night, wouldn't it? And apparently, they left the house. They had to go to a body of water. They had to go to a river somewhere. That They're all baptized because baptism is an outward expression. It is a public expression. You can't do it in the bathtub at home. You may get wet, but I'm telling you, it needs to be a public expression of an inward change. And in verse 34, it says that they went back to the house. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. You know, what we don't know is the last time Paul and Silas ate a decent meal. They, they've been through a lot last couple of days, and I'm pretty sure it doesn't mention feeding them. I'm pretty sure they're in the prison and being in the chains. They wasn't too worried about taking care of their needs. <clears throat> I got just enough time. I'll try to finish this a little bit. Think back about the importance of what God has already done in the past as we've looked. Anybody remember? Paul and Peter's already had a pretty serious discussion. Paul has already been in Peter's face. He says, hey, buddy, apostle or not, who do you think you are? You, you act like the Gentiles are all involved and you act all that. But then when the other Jews come around, you separate yourself from them because they do. That's not what the scripture says. And Peter and Paul have already had this discussion. Because God's already set Peter straight when he let the cloth down. And he said, arise, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. He said, what I call clean, call thou not unclean. What I call common, call thou not. So he's already taught Peter that, that the Gentile and the Jew is now one. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, we are now. We're in the same fold now. He's already taught Paul. Remember Jewish law, it's against the law for a Jew to eat with a Gentile. Correct? You can't even have fellowship with a Gentile. You can't go in a Gentile's house. You sure can't eat meat at a Gentile's house because odds are it's probably been sacrificed to some kind of an idol before it was put in the meat market to be bought. So you got all these legalistic reasons that there's no reason but what God has shown 
Peter and Paul both, is that Jew and Gentile are one in the family of God. There is no difference. We are all one in the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, had Paul not already learned this, and that man set that food before him, and here's this great celebration, and all of his family is rejoicing, and they go, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, brother, but I, I can't eat in your house. I mean, I'm a Jew, you know, you're a Gentile. I mean, I appreciate your hospitality, and I'm, I'm glad you're saved. Here's what they're saying. I can tell you all about the love of Jesus. I just can't display it. I, I, I can tell you all about, all about the, the love of Jesus. I just can't exhibit it because you're different. Can you imagine the wet blanket that would have thrown on that night? Can you imagine the damage that that would have done to the ministry, to the gospel? But God took care of that before we ever got to here. The foreknowledge of God. God may be doing something in your life right now that ain't going to matter for the next seven years, but it's going to matter. It, it may be 12 years from now before it comes to fruition, but whatever God's doing. How many, I, I don't know how many times I've said it. Everything in your life. Prepared you for today. Everything. Every trial. Every victory. Everything we've been through. Everything people said. Every hurt. Every promise. Every broken promise. Everything that happened in our life. It was to prepare us for this day. And everything that will happen today is to prepare us for tomorrow and the next day. So the things that we're going through. God had to teach Paul this stuff a while back. So that when they got right here, what happened? There's a great celebration. You got all these people just got saved. Listen, Paul just had a big night. He went from arrested in the streets to beaten to thrown into prison to getting to lead a whole family to the Lord to getting to sit down and eat some ribeyes. With a whole bunch of brand new Christians washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. All because God had already put things in order. So the situation looked bad, right? Had his testimony failed, he never reaches that jailer. Had his testimony failed, I wonder what happened to all those other prisoners. Had his testimony failed, regardless of what his words were, we don't have this story. Because our testimony matters. Our testimony is proof that we believe what we say we believe. So what we have that night is a celebration. Now, when the morning comes... You know, the heat of the moment has died off with the magistrates. The crowd ain't no longer there. Ain't, ain't, I get in trouble with all my, ain't. The crowd's no longer there. The, the, the passions died down. The magistrates are like, we really have no reason to hold these men. I, you know, I mean, they brought in some accusations. We really didn't have any reason to beat them. Just send the word down there and tell them just, hey, go out and, and release these men. They sent the sergeant saying, let those men go, Paul says, not so fast. We got a bone to pick now. We're, well, Lord willing, we'll, we'll get to talk about that next week. I'm, I am two minutes over my time. Here, here's what I would love for us to just take right here and, and think about. I think it'll help us remember the, the power of our testimony is much greater than the power of our words. If our testimony backs up our speech, 
that that's what can change people's lives. If we want people around us to change, if we want our neighbors to change, we want our family to change, we want our friends to see the gospel and come to know Jesus Christ, they have to see that what is in us is real. It can't be a mouth on one day and a bad attitude on another day. Amen. Father, thank you so much, God. Lord, thank you for this word, for this story, God. I pray for every one of us in this place. Will you help us, God, to be a living, breathing, walking testimony of the goodness of God. Lord, I pray you'd help us to smile when there's no reason to smile, when there seems to be no reason to smile. I pray you'd help us to rejoice in hard times. Lord, Paul said that he glories in tribulation. I don't know that I will ever get to there. But God, help us each one to get as close as we can. That we understand that no matter what we're going through, you have your hand in it. You have your hand on it. You have your hand on us. If you allowed us to get there, Father, you, just because you love us enough to do something in us and to do something through us. Help us, God, to be pleasing to you. We, we just want to serve you. We just want to make you happy, God. Thank you so much. I pray you'd be with each one, God. And Lord, as we, as we go there with each one our own way, protect them. Protect every family represented here, God. Keep a hedge about us. Help us, Father, to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.